Well, well, here we are. My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. Hoo-ha! It is out of sheer morbid curiosity I'm allowing this freak show to continue. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wait, that's your pitch? You consider that a sales call? No, I'm just getting warmed up. Welcome to the Sales Fix Podcast, where we always tell the hard truth, cut to the chase, and put the wind in your sales. I'm Steve Corda. Here's your host, Julian Recasi. Thank you, Steve. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Fix Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Refract. One of the things that I've noticed as I work with a lot of companies, obviously most companies record sales calls. I mean, if you're if you have a large outbound team and you're not recording sales calls, I don't know what to tell you. You're missing out on one of the basic fundamental training tools that you should have. But assuming you record sales calls, what do you do with all those recordings? Because a lot of managers are busy and they're not going to be able to listen to all of their calls. So then what typically managers do is they isolate things based on an as-needed basis, right? So they'll, they'll look at a poor performing reps and go, let me listen to those calls and figure out what I'm hearing. Or let me go listen to what my top performing rep is doing and try to figure out what are repeatable patterns or trainable best practices that I can pull out of those calls. But they're only getting a limited sample because there's only so many hours in the day that you can listen to calls. Well, Refract is a tool that'll take all your recorded calls through most platforms that you may be recording through now, and it'll analyze it on some basic things that it can spot. And it can spot things like the percentage of time that your rep is talking versus the client is talking. You can customize fields for topics or specific keywords that it can pull out of the conversations Uh, For example, if ROI is a conversation you want all your reps to be having, is it happening? How far into the call is it happening? How often is it happening? How long is the conversation around that particular topic? And not only Refract can give you some cool graphs where you can kind of see what's going on. You can compare any one rep to your top performing reps. You can compare any one rep to your overall team. You can make a lot of you know side-by-side analyses, but it'll also isolate within those calls where that conversation is going on and give you quick shortcuts to be able to get there, which is one of my favorite things of the dashboard. It's an hour and 15 minute long call with a client but I'm really making sure that I want my reps to set the agenda this week. That's my training topic. So if I've got that programmed into Refract, it'll say, hey, the set the agenda is happening on this call between three minutes and 48 seconds and five minutes and 64 seconds. There's no such thing as 64 seconds, but you get my point. So it saves me a lot of time to be able to isolate what I'm looking for, to look at general patterns. Refract also comes with a very, very cool training tool, what they call the scenario challenge tool, which allows me to record myself or force my reps to record themselves doing certain scenarios, right? The cold call, the negotiation, the price haggle, whatever it is, and then be able to train to them and spot the differences between the training videos and again, the the, the actual recorded videos or calls that are going on. Anyway, I'm a big fan of the tool. I don't bring on any sponsors onto the show that I'm not a big fan of or that I'm not using. I've used Refract. I've had my clients use Refract and I find it to be one of the more insightful, easily navigable Um, The user interface is super great to work with. It's not super complex, and it plugs into most CRM systems that you may or may not already be using. If you want more info on them or or to schedule a demo, check them out. It's at refract.ai slash salesfix. That's R-E-F-R-A-C-T dot A-I slash salesfix. And, of course, there is a link 
to that in the show notes. And now, without any further ado, let's get to our speaker today. My guest today is Rochelle Carrington with Bulletproof Management. Rochelle, thanks for jumping on the podcast and making the time. Grateful to have you. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, for my listeners, I first met Rochelle at a series of sales seminars where she was one of the speakers over the number of years and really liked a couple of things that she said on some specific topics. So we will definitely hit those specific topics as well as giving Rochelle a chance to catch us up on what she's doing now and uh, and what her uh, work life looks like now. Um, we'll start with the first standard three questions, Rochelle. I'm always curious as to how people ended up in this profession called sales because I think nobody starts out in high school going, I'm going to make a lot of calls and be rejected on a regular basis when they kick off their careers. And then some of us end up in sales. So what was your sales journey that took you from normal human being to, to sales human being, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, you know, I grew up, my father was a VP of sales. And so sales in my family wasn't something that was, you know, thought of poorly. He put four kids through college doing that. However, that didn't mean that I wanted to go into selling. I actually wanted to go into magazines and uh, I wanted to be an editor at Glamour magazine. That was my goal when I was in junior high. And um, I ended up going to uh, NYU uh, Publishing Institute that they had, and they had us talk about and work on projects related to both ad sales, which I didn't even know existed, mm -hmm. and also editorial. But one of the things that they did, they had the publisher of Spin Magazine, which is no longer around, but he came in and he talked a little bit about what ad sales people did. And he said two things that got me to think in the sales mindset. One was you can actually move up in the organization uh, much faster from the sales side than the editorial side. Yeah. And the second one was you can make a lot more money. And I went, <laughs> I like those two things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's when I decided to switch from, uh, you know, the desire to, to be an editor and write my whole life to uh, go into ad sales instead. And I started that right out of college, small regional magazine in Chicago, and uh, just started selling from there. And, and that's what I've done ever since. Nice. So it was a conscious choice for you. I have a similar story, but it wasn't a conscious choice for me. I applied in a newspaper for a writing job and got hired. And when I showed up on Monday, they were like, here's a rate card, go sell some ads. That was like, I'm not oh, yeah. but it was publishing related as well. But at least you made the conscious decision. Um, so I, I can guess at the answer because you've already kind of hinted at, you know, the advancement in the money, which is a lot of what drags, drags people into sales or drives people to sales. Um, but why did you stay? Why did you keep doing it? What was it about it that you loved? Cause I, I'm under the illusion that you have to like this to keep going through the brutality aspect of sales. You have to find something in it that you love or it's just too difficult yeah. to stick with. Right. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously the ability to, to make an income that was, you know, for the most part, you could, you could make as much as you wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really loved the, the competition of it. I loved, you know, when they would compare different sales results. Uh, and, you know, I always wanted to be at the top of that leaderboard. So I loved that. I love the freedom of it, uh, that you are able to really kind of define your own time and figure out, uh, you know, what you should be doing on a daily basis. And, um, and it was just a huge challenge. I mean, it's an amazing thing to go out there and have a product or a service and learn how to have someone else kind of figure out that they need it and ask you for it. And then, and you have to believe obviously in what you're selling. Um, but I just loved all three of those 
uh, portions of it. I just thought were were super fun for me. Yeah, I, I love the way you answered that question because especially some of the words you chose, like have somebody discover that they need it versus convince them to buy it, which is I think what a lot of people would say prompted with that question. Right. We don't understand the way sales is actually supposed to work, right? They would go that that convincing them to buy versus helping them discover that they need the. So I love the way you answered that question. All right, so you've done, um, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go. Mo most of the people listening to this podcast probably have a, an idea of who you are, but uh, without going into your whole career stretch, you've done a lot of sales training and a lot of direct sales yourself. So your exposure to the sales world in terms of time, you know, you've seen a lot of it. What is? I always ask people as the third sort of standard question: what's the what's the common pitfall, the the most obvious mistake, or the most common mistake that they see? salespeople make and you know and i'm curious as to your perspective on that what is it what's the the one that makes you go you know and take that sharp and take a breath oh no they're not doing that again right so i think the biggest mistake that i see and i was guilty of this in my early days before i ever you know knew any different mm -hmm. uh was not getting a clear future it's just it's the chase of the prospect it is it's not leaving that sales call, whether you're in person, whether you're on Zoom now, whether you're on the phone, it's ending it with nothing, no clarity. So, you know, it's the, hey, call me on Monday, or, you know, oh, I'll let you know. It's just not getting that next step on the books, on the calendar, and, you know, where everybody knows what the next thing is gonna be. And that, because that leads to longer sales cycles, it leads to confusion, it leads a salesperson down the road of thinking that, you know, they're going to get an answer on a certain date and then they never do. Right. Uh, it leads to pipelines being full of stuff that, you know, may not necessarily be really good quality sales calls. So that just creates a million problems. It creates a lot of head trash around, you know, I think I've got something when you don't. So it just causes a, a thousand problems from there. Which drives management crazy, right? Because you can't forecast off of a pipeline that you can't see. Um, right. So expanding on that idea a little bit before we keep moving, clear future, I think a lot of people hear that and they hear uh, be aggressive, be pushy, push for a decision. I know you well enough to know that that's not what you meant, right? So if you can clarify or expand on that, that clear future, including the option that one of the options is that there is no future and kind of how you've navigated that or taught that in your career. Right. Well, I think the first step is you've got to understand your sales cycle. You've got to know, depending on the size of prospect that you're talking to, how many sales calls is it going to take to close that sort of a deal, that size of a deal. And by sales calls, what I mean is, you know, that conversation you're having. I'm not talking about cold calling. It's not a prospecting thing. Yeah. So. Once you understand that, then you can figure out what the outcome should be, what the decision should be that the prospect can arrive at and you can arrive at as well at the end of each meeting. So unless you're in a one call close, you're not going for you know a yes or a no on the deal. And some people are in one call closes, but that that isn't the thing for most for most businesses. Right. So if you're in, in a two call or a three call close, then you know what you're generally going to be going for is a next meeting, a second meeting. And what we want to be able to um, really have our prospects understand is that number one, it's a mutual agreement, right? Because you can decide that you want a second meeting, but I may decide there's no reason for it because you know you don't have the budget or you're not the right decision maker or whatever the reason is. And so we have to mutually agree upon that. 
And, um, and then we've got to give the prospect the right to say, you know, no, I don't want to have the second meeting and that's perfectly fine. So there's always a yes or a no of some sort mm -hmm. uh, based on what the next step is. And I think that, you know, people, to answer your question about it being aggressive, I think it's assertive. And in my mind, I think that it helps the prospect a heck of a lot more because the one thing that none of us need any more of in our life are you know going back and forth on emails, making phone calls that never get responses, sending emails out that never get responses. And then you've got, to, it makes extra work yeah. and it just makes no sense. So I think a lot of times if you could be kind of um, you know the lazy salesperson, and what I mean by that is I wanna be lazy so that I don't have to do more work, unnecessary work on the back end of something. So if I can get a meeting, you know, an agreement to a second meeting and I get that second meeting on the calendar while I'm still there, then all the back end of sending you my calendar link or going back and forth on email with different dates or whatever it, it uh, happens to be, all of that is done. I don't have to worry about any of that. Mm. So that takes a lot of stuff off my task list, which actually makes me far more efficient. And I think it's a gift that we give to the prospects so that we don't have to sit there and bug them on when do you want to do the next meeting? When do you want to do the next meeting? I waited for your call. It didn't come in. I've now called you three times. I've texted you. Like, nobody wants that. So I don't think that it's aggressive. I think that it's the smart thing to do. And I think that it is a gift to, uh, to the prospect. But, and I'm playing devil's advocate and role playing it out here, right? But if I keep them in maybe, if I keep pushing, I might get a no versus if I was more patient and gave them more time to think about it and didn't pressure them so hard on the next meeting that it might eventually say yes. I mean, I, I hear that a ton. I know you hear that a ton. I know I respond to it. I'm just curious as to how you respond to, to that pushback when a salesperson's giving you that pushback. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the reality is uh, maybe in a lot of cases is a no. And, you know, we, we generally know that. We may not want to admit that, but oftentimes that's sort of, uh, you know, the reality is that is the truth of it. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of when do you want to get, you know, the quote unquote bad news? You want to get it now or you want to push it back for two weeks? I want to get it now. I want to rip the Band-Aid off now and I want to move on to the next thing. Right. Again, that goes back to lazy salesperson. I don't want to have to follow up with you 10 times. I don't want a fake, you know, yes. I don't want you to feel like you have to say yes just to get me off your back and then you're going to ghost me. That is a far worse situation to be in yeah. than to rip off the Band-Aid now, be done and move on to the next step. I love your word choice of lazy salesperson and Corda was smiling when you said that because He's heard me say on a number of these episodes, I got into sales because I was lazy. I wanted to get the maximum reward for the minimum amount of effort, right? I just, I didn't want to have to work the 45 or 50 hour weeks. Not that I don't on occasion, but I didn't want to have right. to create hours for income, right? I wanted to be able to find shortcuts to it. It's what drew me to sales. So I, I love right. that. Uh, I love that word choice. Okay. So let's get to some specific Rochelle questions. And and it, this might be unfair. This is the label that I have of the subject matter that I associate with you the most, just because I sat over the number of, I think, six or seven years at this annual seminar where I saw you speaking on this subject. And there was always an element about this. And I think also the first time I heard you speak, you were speaking on this subject. And I, I thought it was really insightful. And I don't know how you frame it, but you call it, I call it eliminating negative self-talk or at least monitoring self-talk and the power that's associated with that. And 
I don't want to frame up too much of a question versus just kind of hand you the floor and and maybe you can give me the top line of it and I can drill down where I think the listeners would want to drill down. But to me, it's such a powerful and important subject because until you have mastery of that piece, it almost doesn't matter what else that you do. And you've just said some things that have echoed with me in terms of where that negative talk comes from and how that undermines confidence and sort of the methodology that you have for dealing with that. And every human being goes through tough times and great times. And it's easy not to have negative self-talk when you've won the gold medal in your particular event for that particular moment. But most of us have 1% of our life is that and the rest of it is a grind, right? So how do you prevent? And so I'll hand you the floor here and take all the time that you want to discuss this. It's just I'm, I'm, I would love for you to share kind of your insight and your approach and your beliefs around that subject matter, just because it was so impactful to me. And this podcast is ultimately about bringing stuff that was impactful to me and making it impactful to other people. Okay. Well, that is a huge, huge topic. (laughs) So I'll try to be as succinct as possible on such a broad topic, but I think it really comes down to belief systems and, uh, you know, we can, in, in sales, it doesn't matter whether you're selling or doing anything else in life. Our belief systems create our actions. And our belief systems come from a lot of different places. They come from, you know, school, whom, whomever raised you, grandparents, parents, uh, you know, siblings, friends. They come from the media. There's a lot of very negative belief systems coming from the media these days. Uh, they come from religion. They come from everywhere. And then sometimes we just make, they come from experiences, things that we make up in our own head. Like this is how everything always goes. And so what happens is we've got these, these, you know, tracks running through our head of all these beliefs that we have decided are true. Most of which, if you really dug into them are not true. Um, You know, I'm not lucky or, you know, I, I always get, you know, the crazy clients or, you know, whatever it is that we say, I'm not good at this or that. Um, People don't respond to cold calls, like whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We've all got these things. And what we really have to do is start to become aware of them. And, uh, you know, I sort of went down that journey. I am a very positive thinker. I'm an optimist. And so I thought this was years ago. I was like, look, my belief system is awesome. You know, I'm an optimist. I believe I could do anything. (laughs) And I had a mentor. And what I always say is, if you think you have no belief issues, you have a lot of belief issues. (laughs) Those are the most dangerous people, the ones that are like, no, I'm an optimist, I'm fine. So that was kind of me. And then I had a mentor that came and said, you're not as positive as you think you are. And I went, how dare he? I can't believe he would say that to me. Oh my gosh, he just doesn't know me. This is just ridiculous. But it made me think. And what I started to do was listen to the things that I would say in my head, because we all we've got talk. We talk to ourselves all day long. We talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else. And so I started to listen to it. And when I did that, I was horrified. I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe the stuff that I say to myself. And, you know, I did the old uh, exercise where you put a rubber band around your wrist. And every time you say something negative, you twang it. I did that for a week and my wrist was, it looked like I was trying to, you know, physically harm myself. (laughs) It hurt. And so that's really where I got the, you know, recognition of what was going on in my own head. So if you've never done that exercise before, I highly recommend it. Half the time you only have to do it for two days and you're going to be like, wow, okay. 
and and the thing with negative self-talk is it's not always about um you know saying something bad about yourself right and i think that that's where people get a little bit off base with it where they go like you know i don't trash myself on a regular basis um that is one form of negative self-talk right that's the form that we can all like when you say like i'm so stupid or how could i do that uh, but there are a lot of other forms that we do to ourselves that are much more subtle. Um, like, I'm not good at that, or like, you know, I don't want to get sick, or those things that are much more subtle where we're focusing on what we don't want rather than what we do want. Right. And, and rehearsing these, you know, playing through conversations that you've had with somebody a week ago that you know you wish you'd gone down a different path i wish i had said this i wish i had said that and then we played through that same negative you know situation over and over and over again um saying i'm too busy i'm too stressed out i don't have time all that is negative self-talk so if you think about it from the standpoint that if it's not what you want to have happen most likely you're speaking to yourself negatively. So when I say something like, you know, and you hear it all the time now, I'm so stressed out, I've got so much to do, oh my gosh. So when you think about that and you say that out loud, you wanna sort of pay attention to your body and go, does that give me energy or does that kind of make me, you know, sort of like roll into, wanna roll into a ball? Yeah. And when you say I'm so stressed out, you can feel in your body like a lump, like it's like the lump of coal that drops into your stomach not helpful so instead of saying that you know one of the things i was taught was you say i always get the important things done i'm not saying i'm not lying to myself i'm not saying i have no stress yeah right we all do in varying degrees we deal with it differently but if i say to myself i always get the important things done that is an energetic feel that is like a okay so then what are the important things what are the two things i need to do today not yep. the 25 the two. And so that's sort of how you, you know, I think the first step is really just listen to yourself, listen to what you're saying, redefine, understand a broader definition of negative self-talk as I described it, mm -hmm. and then just focus on what you want. That, that's all, if we can all just focus on what we want, and that's easier said than done. Sure. Because our brain always goes to that negative thing. But if you can do that, you'll, you'll just, your whole entire day, your week, your life, will start to function differently. So you said a couple things that I don't think most people know is true. And one of them that, again, and I'm being reminded of some of the things that made, you know, sparks, right? They're like pings in my head when you said them in the past. And one of them mm -hmm. is that you talk to yourself more than you talk to anyone else. I, yeah. I, I, I know we ha we're having this conversation kind of casually and, and, and that, you know, you don't necessarily have access to the same research that you might have showed them. But in terms of numbers or just of data, like where, where does that belief come from in terms of? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of data. Yeah. There's a lot of data on that where, you know, anyone, the numbers that I've heard that I've read are between 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Wow. I always I always say women are at the 80,000 and men are at the 60,000, but you know. Well, some, some men, there's some men oh. that were around 15 or 20,000 probably, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sicilians are at the 20,000. Yeah, one thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, 60 to 80,000 thoughts, that is a lot one, of stuff yeah. that's bantering about. And a lot of it is are things that we don't really notice. I mean, they could be something like, you know, I'm sitting in a red chair, 
Um, I noticed that your shirt is black. Those are things that go in and out very, very quickly. Yeah. I notice it, it goes out unless, you know, I'm looking for a black shirt or unless I love black or I hate black or something like that. That thought about your shirt just goes right out the window. And so, but the other ones will stick with us. So if you've got 60 to 80,000 and the scientists will say that, you know, 70 to 80% of those are negative, wow. that, you know, do the math on that. I'm no mathematician, I'm a salesperson, but um, that's a lot of negative thoughts. And that's why it's not always the, you know, I'm dumb, how could I do that? Why did I make that mistake? Those are the really simple ones to, to recognize. What we need to do is listen to all the other stuff because those are the, and we have a lot, we say the same things over and over. Yep. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to do, you know, whatever it may be. Just let's start to focus on what it is that we want. Gordon. Yeah, there was, and there's a subtler difference. I'm assuming that the, the title of your business, Bulletproof, means this is how you make yourself yes. protected and bulletproof against this kind of negative thinking. There's a, a subtler level of negative thinking that I think salespeople grapple with. And Julian accidentally, he kind of Freudian, it's probably in his notes and that's why it happened. He Freudian slipped into it earlier. Drag versus draw. What dragged you into this business rather than drew you to this business? Ah. So even if you've gotten to where, you know, now we're down to 35% negative thoughts. How would you coach somebody who's like, oh, I got to call 15 I, I kind of call it uh, call-itis or activity-itis. I'm going to show 75 calls today no matter what because I get dragged into it rather than I'm going to call the next 10 people and one of them is going to be the right customer. How do, you, how do you guide people through that drag versus draw situation? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that, you know, the activities that we do are we've got to find some joy in them right somehow and so we can go through it just like anything else like working out right where you just kind of go like okay i gotta go work out i'll go through the motions i'll do the thing thank god i got that done and over with and now i can get on with the rest of my day um i think if, when you think about intention what's the intention if i'm going to make 50 calls today what's my intention my intention is potentially to have one good conversation to make you know, the day of one person. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. That may or may not mean that I got my target, that I got a sales call. But if you just think about what is the intention that you have of that call? I'm gonna make somebody smile. I'm going to, you know, get a voicemail back, whatever it may be. And, it can, and the intention can't really be around, you know, I'm going to get a sales call. Yes, we know or a booked meeting, right? We know that is the ultimate intention of any sort of prospecting effort, but we can't control that. What I can control is that if anyone's grumpy on the phone, I'm gonna make a joke and try to make them laugh. I can control that. Now, can I control whether they have a sense of humor or not, whether they respond to my sense of humor? No, but that is an intention that I can say, look, if someone's having a bad day, and we can tell sometimes on the phone, I wanna somehow turn that around. And so I can go into it, you know, with a little bit of a lighter heart than like, oh gosh, I gotta do these 50 uh, calls. You know, the other thing is, and, and I say this to my kids all the time, is you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. And so and to some extent, 
you know, what I would always say to my clients is if you're waiting for the moment when you are going to love prospecting, I can guarantee you it's never coming. Yeah. It's never going to come. Yeah. So just do it, get it done at the time of day that you've got the most energy, get it done, you know, earlier in the day, earlier in the week so that you don't have to worry about it later. And, you know, go into it knowing that the more you do that, the more opportunity you have to help people with whatever your product or service is. Um, and if you do the right kind of call, you are going to make somebody's day. That's just what's going to happen. You've got, you know, a good personality. You've got good intentions of trying to help people. You're not just, you know, looking at somebody with a price tag or a dollar sign on their head. And so, uh, you know, if you go in with that, you know that you will have a different kind of conversation than everybody else. And that somehow something good is going to come out of it. So, so I, I, I want to call out something for the listeners because as you were explaining this, I think one of the things that became apparent to me is we're not even aware of what our intention is on a lot of the things that we do, cold calls especially. So if you yeah. actually took a survey of 100 salespeople and say, what was your intention for doing the call block today? I think a lot of them would say, it's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. I show up here and I have to make 75 calls a day. They wouldn't say my intention. So the first step before you even determine what your intention is just to be aware that you need to have an intention when you're doing any of that activity, right? And, and, yeah. and I, I caught that between the lines of what you were saying, which I think- And is, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people's intention is to just avoid being the one called out at the sales meeting by the manager. The manager said I had to. Right. Manager <laughs> said 75. My spotter said, I'm doing 300 today. And if I don't, they're just going to drop it on my chest. So I better be, do 300. It could be right. more nefarious than that. I think sometimes a lot of people's yeah. intention on making cold calls is to not get rejected. And that's just impossible, right? So yeah. so that call blockage, that call avoidance is like stepping up as a, as a result of my intention is wrong. But they're not, you know, I would say in most cases, they're not fully aware of that intention because rationally, they logically, they would go, that's not a valid intention, but it's just kind of where they live. Um, you said something well, um, irrationality in sales, Julian. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Rochelle. Sorry. I, I was just going to say one other quick thing is that intention and goal are not the same thing. And I think that's a, a something very, you know, to yeah. know, like your, your goal could be 50 calls, but that is not your intention. Right. So your intention is what do you, what impact do you want to make on someone else as you're making those calls? Right. Right. That, think about the impact. Um, which which is a personal uh, relationship driven thing or the impact you make in your head where you go, look, I'm going to do one more call than I did yesterday. And that means I'm, you know, a rock star. That means I'm pushing my breaking point. If my breaking point is like 50 calls, I'm out, I'm done. I can't take anymore. Let me push that breaking point to 51 and let me do that for a while. And then I can push that breaking point further. Um, so that's that's really I think that's important to understand intention versus goal and the difference between the two. Yeah, you you said something which um, I actually went and dug through my notes from some of those seminars before we we met up. You said something once, and I it's something that I wrote down, uh, which is that we would not tolerate from other people the comments that we make at ourselves. Right? If 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 I literally walked into the room and said something to you that you might be saying to yourself, like you, I would have crossed the line. You'd have been like, who the heck are you that you're gonna to talk to me that way, right? And yet the internal voice we accept it 100% from, right? That internal voice is sort of omniscient, all seeing and all right and can't be questioned. And as soon as they say it, well then it's gotta be valid and we would never react that way. And I think for me, that's always been a good barometer of would I accept this comment at me from somebody else? 
And I find myself getting defensive at my own inner voice sometimes, right? Where I actually turn it around on that person and go, who the heck are you to say something like that to me, right? And that's yeah. a really useful yeah. tool um, that I've used. You, the, 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 I wanted to ask you about replacement theory too. I, I've always believed that you can't eradicate a behavior until you can find out what you're going to replace it with. If you just create a vacuum, you're going to default back to that old behavior, right? So um, you know, the drinkers or the smokers that are trying to quit drinking or quit smoking, they have to find something else to replace that behavior because if they don't, they're going to go right back to the bad habit, right? So um, what positive or and, – and, and I'll give you a specific example. My, my workouts involve grappling. I go to a jiu-jitsu academy, and most of the time it's a wonderful meditative, clear-my-head kind of an experience. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting. He was teaching something, and my, my brain went to a dark place. He said something that cued a thought, that I, and I didn't get it under control. My, my brain went to a dark place and I literally got up and went and sat up against the wall and told everybody that I had a stomachache because I, I couldn't get my head back under control where I, it, it was unpleasant to, to be in that situation. Um, so replacement behaviors, right? Negative self-talk starts, that inner voice starts, and even at the broader definition, which I, I love that explanation of it doesn't have to be a super harmful statement. It can just be a self-destructive statement. They're probably not going to answer the phone when I when I make cold calls today. Nobody's going to answer the phone. It's a Monday. Right. Nobody answers the right. phone on Mondays, right? Those, those kind of like, the, the milder ones that are still just destructive. What's your what's your what's your pattern interrupt or replacement behaviors that you coach people to or use yourself to be able to get yourself out of those negative cycles? Well, there's a few different things you can do, and I think everybody needs to find the one that works for them. And they're all a little weird, and, you know, it's like, just do it. It doesn't really matter if it's weird or you don't think it's going to work because we have all sorts of data that says it does work. Right. So just try it. But, you know, one thing is just journaling, and journaling is always, uh, you know, such a, a great tool. I thought journaling was complete nonsense for many years of my life. <laughs> and then again, I had that mentor that was like, I'm not going to mentor you unless you journal. And I'm like, oh gosh, you're so mean. <laughs> but journaling is, is really all about, you know, what is it that you want? So, you know, I make my 10 calls and make someone laugh, like journal your intention. And sometimes you have to journal it. You can journal the same thing over and over and over again. You know, what the teachers used to do in, in the olden days when they would have kids write the, I will not, yeah. you know, throw erasers at Bobby like 52 times on the chalkboard. The Bart Simpson so, blackboard. Yeah. 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 So, um, so journaling is one thing. I think the other thing is, you know, it, you really have to start listening to yourself. And, and when you catch it, then you can do a couple things. One is, you know, get up. Uh, a lot of times it's changing your state, right? You change your state your physical state, it changes the triggers in your head. So if you're sitting at your desk and you're about to make the phone call and you're like, oh, dread, well, guess what? Get up, jump up and down five, 10, 15 times, kind of think about what it is that you want to have happen and then sit back down and do it. So you could walk, you could jump, you could do anything that just changes your physical state out of I'm sitting in the chair. Or if you're standing up, go do something, something that is going to get your heart kind of pumping a little bit, do some jumping jacks, I don't know, squats, whatever it is you want to do, but change that state that will change your mind um, or, and the thoughts going on in your mind. The other thing obviously is uh, music. Music changes everything. You know, listen, find the song that either makes you more peaceful or makes you really jazzed up. 
it's kind of like uh, I was a runner years and years ago, and you know, you have a playlist when you're running, right? That and you know that it say mile 10 is when you start to feel really tired. So you know that at that point, I got to listen to this song because it's motivating and inspiring and it gets me running faster and it gets me through it. So everybody should have some sort of a, you know, a playlist or a couple of songs that you just go, here's my go-to. Let me just go listen to this song, blast it, sing it, dance to it, whatever you want to do. And that can change the state or it may be something more calm. It could be, you know, listen to classical piano music or something. I listen to that a lot when I work because I just think it helps me to focus better. Um, so those are some of the things that you can do to uh, to really start to change that state. But you've got to start by listening to yourself first because if you don't hear it, then you know, you're know you ignorant to the entire thing. It's okay. going on. No matter what you think, it's going on in your head. It's just a matter of whether you're going to recognize it or not. So journaling is a methodology of identifying what your inner voice is doing and saying to you because you're having to write it down. Is that is that my my stating that correctly? It's ironic that you brought that up because I, I think the last time you and I talked is literally when I called you and said, "I'm trying to journal and I'm like so stuck." And you, you know, graciously spent half an hour on the phone giving me some ideas on the journaling thing. But um, is it is it a way to get that negativity out? So is it okay to journal out the negative thoughts just to hear what you're saying to yourself? Because I heard you talk about what I want journaling, but like, you know, what about the cathartic yeah. aspect of it? Or is, or am I off base? Right? No, no, I think you certainly can. There's a lot of different ways to journal. I personally don't journal the negative thoughts because I don't, when we write something down, it's going back into our head again in, in a different way. And so, you know, I know that a lot of people do that and it's very cathartic and it's wonderful. Um, I like to journal what I want. I want to journal the thoughts I want in my head, not the stuff I want out of my head. So I'm going to think about, you know, what is that negative thought? And then how do I put that into a different perspective? Um, everyone is looking forward to my cold call today, or I always get a clear future in a nice, assertive, yet, you know, calm way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I journaled for, for years, which uh, really, really helped me before I would go on a sales call, I would journal um, whoever the person's name is. I'd say, Julian is my client. He just doesn't know it yet. It's my job to get him to recognize it in our meeting today. And I literally had a sales call that was going haywire, crazy, you know, was, it was going to go to a no. I just knew it. And I had journaled that before that sales call. I'm in it. I can hear in my head go, you know what, just like give it up. This is going nowhere. This, this is just a disaster. But in the moment I thought that, on the other hand, I thought I just wrote, this guy is my client. He just doesn't know it yet. And I thought, you know what, it's my, I haven't done a good enough job. It's my job to get him to figure it out because I know I can help him. I know I can. And so I sat there and I revamped my questioning and we spent another, you know, 30 minutes. And at the end, he was a client. And I mean, that's how powerful that was for me in that moment, because it switched my brain because I had written it out before I walked in there. And I was like, this, it's my job to get this person to figure it out. Now, if I get a no, then I probably, and I know that I could have helped them, then I probably didn't do a very good job on that sales right. call, which means now I got to look and go, what, what should I have done differently? Where did I give up? Where did I not make sense? Where were the questions wrong? Where did I, you know, not uh, understand something? 
and then I can start to you know fix that for the next time around. So that 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 statement was actually on my list of things to cover today because um, I heard you say that on stage. This this has made me money. Saying this to myself has made me money, and I I love trying new things. So when you when you uh, mentioned that, um, I think for about a year afterwards, whenever I had a big closing call, so not not the the needs assessment, not the discovery, but I had the big sort of proposing closing call. I would look at myself in the mirror before going in and say. They're your client. They just don't know it. And it's it's actually amazing the reframe that does because you sit in that meeting and instead of coming up with reasons why, oh, I, I'm probably not a fit, what you're going is they're not getting it yet. They're not getting it. I haven't gotten them to see it yet. And so to your right. point, right back to the very top of this, when you said sales about calling people to help them discover that they, they need what you're selling, it reframes the whole conversation on that. So that's been a money maker for me, honestly, Rochelle. I probably owe you a commission. On that statement, it's a money maker. It also it also forces you to ask yourself if you're prepared going into that meeting, because if you can't right. say that with full conviction, then you don't have all the data that you need to have. You don't have all the elements in place that you need to have, and you need to take a step back and gather some more stuff up, and you know prepare yourselves more adequately before before going into that meeting. But I I, I love that. Yeah. Corda, did you want to say something? You had that look on your face that you wanted to say something. This is the, uh, the the podcast is audio only, by the way, Rochelle. So you know. Yeah, yeah. But but he's. I mean, and it just kills us. It kills us. We're not getting this on screen. Um, <laughs> no, I was just thinking in terms of relationship. I mean, sales is a relationship, and that failure to that failure to to knock down details, lock down. I'm going to send you an agreement, and I'm just going to pray and hope and worry rather than just say, and I can expect that back Wednesday. Uh, I'll call you Wednesday afternoon, maybe make sure. Just imagine, I was just thinking about, if you saw a smile or something, I was just thinking about if I was afraid to invite Julian over to watch the ball game, because he might say no. I mean, that's a relationship and a friendship. It's just, you you knock down these details all day long with being, you don't mind going back and forth with your mother-in-law, you know, it, right. to, to settle when and where we're going to have coffee. But there's right. so much we just leave to this chance of, of let's just hope, let's just hope the wind blows right and whatever superstitious situation we believe in, we let's let's do that, a little salt over the shoulder, and hopefully this agreement comes back. You know, rather than just being at that point in their in your relationship. That's I was just smiling at that. Yeah. yeah. Or we believe what they say. We believe, you know, that when they say they're gonna call you and let you know that they're actually going to do that. And you know, I'm I'm not suggesting that people are making that up or they're lying, but what does happen is they forget. They have the intention of doing it, but they don't follow through because the minute you walk out of their office or get off, you know, Zoom with them, um, they're on to something else. They got 12 other things that yeah. have just come onto their plate. And so they just, frankly, they don't remember, right? And so, um, so I think let's just make it easier. Make it easier so that yeah. you don't have to get them to, they don't have to remember. Because uh, it's already on the books and, you know, you're ready to go. But you also have to believe that people, that you are owed, uh, you know, a, a decision. And that comes down to a belief standpoint as well, that both of you, and I don't mean owed like, you know, they have to give it to you, but I think they want to if you guide them the right way. They're yeah. just not guided to do that by most salespeople. Most right. salespeople just yeah. let it go. And so, you know, the prospects are like, well, this is what's always happened with a salesperson. I tell them I'll call them and then, you know, whatever, they'll call me back yeah. at some point, yeah, you know, however that goes. And so yeah, they if mean you're really- in the moment, but then the moment passes. Right. Yeah. It's not that they're not telling the truth. It's just that moment's right. gone. 
Well, you guys. You know, it's good. It's not, you know it you, happens. You're both being nicer about that than I would be because I actually think they do lie to us. And the reason they lie to us is because saying no to somebody is not a pleasant experience. Um, it's not nice to say no to somebody, especially if they were nice and respectful and courteous and professional. Professional. I mean, the nicer they were, the less I want to say them no to them, right? So I think a lot of times they're like, well, yeah, I'll call you because they don't want to hurt my feelings, not realizing that, you know, for a salesperson, it's torture to put me into that follow up with me, I'll call you. It's far worse right. than that than hearing no. So it's on us to let them know. I'd rather you tell me no or yes, but not leave me in that limbo, right? So, yeah. um, but I, because I, I, I catch myself doing it, right? People are like, hey, are you going to be able to help out with the bake sale on Friday? And I'm going, I got six things on Friday. There's no way I'm making that. I'm like, well, you know, I'll get back to you hoping that they'll forget. And I'm not yeah. doing it out of malevolence. I'm just doing it because I'm self-protecting. I don't want to say to this nice PTA mom who's overworked and a hero for doing what she does that I'm not going to help with the bake sale on Friday. I, there's some, some guilt to it, right? Um, and that, that ties into the whole we are the ones who should control this interaction because we're the ones that are causing it to begin with kind of philosophy of sales, which I'm, I'm a big uh, subscriber to. So um, in a way, if they're afraid to say no, it's a testament to the relationship you created. Yeah. They're saying no to this opportunity, but keeping a door open to yep. continue to relate to you down the road. So again, like I said, that moment passes, schedule the next moment and yep. move on. All right. Give us give us an overview quick, Rochelle, of what Bulletproof uh, Media is, what it does, how you work with your clients, and and obviously all the I'll, I'll share the contact info on the show notes so people can reach out if they want to. But um, I've known you as a sales trainer and sales consultant, and I know you've kind of moved on to a slightly different existence. So catch us up on kind of what Bulletproof is, how it works, and and how you help your clients. Sure. So uh, you know I still do some sales consulting, but. A lot of what um, my company has kind of uh, moved over to is lead generation, because in all of the sales training that I've done for 15 years, one of the biggest issues or probably the biggest issue that every single salesperson has and every company and business owner has is how do we get leads in the door? And we can teach prospecting, we can talk about behaviors, we can talk about belief systems, but it still is the hardest thing for people to do for you know a variety of reasons and so what we do is we do lead generation where we're using cold email to do that we've got a very systematic process that's um, very personalized so it is not mass emails that are going out to a thousand people that are the exact same that we've all gotten that we've deleted uh -huh. um, and as a result of the personalization and the research and everything that we do we get much higher response rates from people and we book meetings on calendars for people. And, uh, you know, having been a sales trainer, I also understand what a qualified meeting is and just what a meeting is. And yeah. we don't want to, you know, put junk into somebody's pipeline with like, oh, hey, we got you a lead. You know, who cares if it's somebody that just said yes, because they were like, oh, what the heck? I got nothing else to do or you're bugging me too much. So we get qualified leads for people. We guarantee the number of leads that we get. And um, that's one core thing we do. And then the other thing we do is when people want to be found on uh, the websites or the search engines more, we do something called brand jacking. And brand jacking is really um, above and beyond SEO. It's making Google and some of the other search engines see you as highly popular. And when they see you as highly popular, they serve you up in search 
when somebody is searching for whatever it is that you do in whatever area you you start to focus on. So we do a lot of content generation in order to make Google believe that you're popular. It's not social media content, by the way. I want to make that you know clear. But we can get people on 400, 500 websites. And when we get your content on 400 other websites, Google's like, wow, these guys know something about sales. So when somebody in you know, Florida goes like, how do I close faster? Your website is going to come up more quickly than everybody else's. Interesting. What kind of companies do you typically work with? Or is it all over the board? It's all over the board, but it's business to business yeah, B2B. for the most part. Yeah, yeah. All over B2B. the board, B2B stuff, right? Yeah, all no, I didn't think you were selling vitamins or or those kinds of things or working with those types of it's it's you know it's uh ironic one of my main prospecting methods is to respond to bad prospecting emails i've gotten more clients that way than any other way <laughs> I literally edit their email and send it back to them and say here's what was wrong with your email here's what a correct email should sound like and the, the number right. of times that actually gets me up to a sales manager or a vp of sales and gets a conversation going is it's not and they're they're horrific i mean some of them it's like you know all right, I'm going to give you two things that you did wrong because if I tried to go through this whole email, then I am myself am writing like almost a novel on bad emails, right? So, um, but there's a, there's a lot of bad outreach. Okay, so I always wrap up with this question, and I always wrap up because I'm I'm humble enough to know that the speaker probably has insights that I'm not smart enough to ask about. So the wrap up question is always, what was the question I should have asked you but didn't on the subject matters that we discussed today, right? Or is there a question I should have asked you but didn't? a point that didn't that didn't get through right uh you know that's always a question that i ask when i'm interviewing people what should i have asked you that i didn't ask you <laughs> it's such a it's such a great question i'm not used to being I asked that. i also stole it from you rochelle i'm not gonna see you know i think the first time i heard you speak was like eight or nine years ago now so it's possible that i've also stole it from you and forgot that it came from you i, I definitely remembered that the, they're my client they just don't know it yet came from you it's possible that i stole it from you so <laughs> doesn't matter where it came from you know yeah. as we say once you use it a few times it's all yours yeah uh i think that you asked some really great questions i guess the only thing would be you know if you could pick one key thing to start to change beliefs what would that one thing be that that is most impactful or has been most impactful to me yep and uh, and so my answer to that would be journaling is just consistent everyday journaling and and the one that uh there there's two kinds of journaling we talked about the one the other one that's been uh, had a huge impact and is something that i've also done and taught to my kids and if anybody who's listening to this has kids it doesn't matter how old they are i would teach this to them and that's a success journal and so that happens at the end of the day where you write down all the successes that you had because a lot of times you know when you get done with work and let's say your significant other or your kids or whomever says oh hey how was work today julian and you're like oh my gosh you wouldn't believe and you go on and on about the one bad conversation how your task list never got done yada yada right traffic whatever it may be internet went down so what we do is we start to talk about all the bad things even though there were thousands of great things that happened we discount that and so you know after a while your family stops asking you what happened at work because they're tired of hearing you complain about it every day they're just like never mind we know what happened it's always yeah. something negative yeah so the success journal what i uh was doing with my kids is at the end of every day before they go to bed we would just take out a journal we write down all the successes so things like i drove in my car today i love my car 
I, you know, just like driving in it. It's a nice car, right? I, I mean, I'll write stuff down like I, um, no ironing of my clothes today. Um, I had a great hair day. Like that's always a good one. I had a nice glass of wine. It doesn't have to be, I got the sale or I got an appointment. There are so many things. If you start to walk through your day, you have a great cup of coffee in the morning or you heard your favorite song on the radio or it came up on your playlist or something. I mean, that's an amazing thing where you're like, wow, I had fun. I laughed with someone. I walked the dog, I, you know, whatever it is. So we list out those different things. And by the time you're done, you've got pages upon pages of all this great stuff. And so it makes you feel like, wow, you know what? Even if I didn't get another sales call, or even if I didn't close the deal, um, I did learn something from it and all these other wonderful things happened. And if you do it with your kids, you see what is important to them. You hear stuff about their day that they will never tell you. Because when you say, how was school? They're like, fine. Fine. Right? And you learned nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that conversation yeah so you find out things i help someone on the playground um and you also start to help them turn around their self-talk i remember one time my daughter wrote down um i only missed two on the math test and so we would read our our at the end we all write it out we read it to each other and so i said um how many questions were on the math test and she said 30 and i said well how many did you get right she said uh 28 i said that's what you want to write down cross out the I only missed two and write down I got 28 questions right on the math test that's what you want to think about is the 28 not the two who cares about the two um and so that that has made a massive impact so if you don't you know like journaling or you're kind of like oh it sounds girly weird whatever then uh do the success journal anyone can do it I've had my kids when they were three years old do it where they would tell me I'd ask them and I would write it down for them or they would write down two things and I would spell out the words for them. And it just, what we wanna do is get in our minds, we have success every single day. We have got tons of successes because you prime your head for success, then it's gonna deliver that. And so that that's the most impactful thing that uh, I've done from a- I, I love that. So that's how you start journaling. That's actually great because I, as, as uh as you and I have discussed before, journaling is just a challenge. I get into it for a while, then I fall out of it, and then and then it's like, well, I didn't keep up with it. Does it make sense? You know, and there's all the it starts. So the success journal as the starting mechanism, I love. What's the next step? Somebody starts success journaling and they're doing pretty well. What's the next step on the journaling? Then you recommend starting early, like first thing in the morning before you go anywhere, writing down your thoughts, or and is there an agenda that you put down? I've heard the three and two. I've heard you know a couple of other things like that. Is there it, you know what what's an easy first or second step for the the journaling challenged right <laughs> the the easy next step is do it in the morning and just think about what do i want to have in my head today and that's what you write down what do i what are the words that i want my my brain to keep telling me you know i'm a great cold caller i ask great questions on sales calls Julian is my client. He just doesn't know it. It's my job today to get him to figure that out. You know, whatever it is you want. It could be, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll journal things like um, I eat to protect my six pack. Like, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to eat to protect it. Right. I don't want to. It's not like I won't eat cookies today. Right. Or um, when I see a cookie, I'll choose an apple or, you know, something like that. Like if that's what I think is going to come up today. I'm going out somewhere, I'm going to lunch, 
right? And I could just literally be like, oh, wow, okay, I can get anything on this venue. You know, I choose the meal that, you know, expands my, my exercise goals or my fitness goals or my health goals. Um, so think, I would always just think about what's going to happen in your day. What do you have going on? You have, do you have a lot of prospecting? You have a lot of sales calls. You've got, you know, exercise. You've got to go do something with your kids or your family or whatever. What are the thoughts you want to have happen while you're doing those things? And that's what you journal. And, um, and you can just journal, like, it could be two things. I think sometimes people get too wrapped up in like, I got to have two pages worth of stuff. I got plenty of days where it's two sentences and that's it. Uh, that's enough. That's, 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 that's it to be, yeah. you're not writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sometimes it feels like you are, and you are overly. I, I find myself um, not that I'm a perfectionist in most things. I'm typically more, you know, roll at full speed and don't bother me with the details, right? Type of a type of a person. Uh, all the assessments that I've taken keep confirming that. But I find myself when I'm journaling, it's like you know, the spelling has to be correct. It has to be legible. It has to it, it has to have a beginning, middle, and an end, right? So uh, Steve and I actually both have background in in writing. We both we both came come from the writing world, and so it's like. I can't just jot down a couple of random thoughts. I mean, it has to be a structured, organized thing. And you're saying, let that go. Just put down what you want to be in your head. And, and I think that's that's great advice. So no, one, no one's judging you on it. No one's reading it. Uh, ideally, no one's reading it. Because if someone read mine, they'd be like, wow, that's scary stuff. But, um, you know, so there is no right way or wrong way. I guess the only wrong way would be, if all you're doing is journaling what you're not going to do, I'm not going to, you know, eat cookies today, or I'm not going to make judgments. If, if you make a lot of judgments, I write, you know, I am judgment free. That's how I would say I'm not making judgments about other people today. Yeah. Um, so, so figure out how to write it in a more positive way, because again, it all just comes down to focus on what you want. Just that's it. That, that would be like, the, if you can only think about one thing, Start focusing on what you want and stop focusing on what you don't want. And when you say something in your head, you can ask yourself, is that what I want? Right. I don't want to be late. OK, well, let me take out the don't. And now it just says I want to be late. Is that what I want? No. What I want is I want to be on time. Right. Right. That's it. So just that you start to say that. You know, it's not, I don't want to be rejected or I don't want to lose the sale. It's, I want to ask great questions. I want to help this person see how I can help them. That's what you want. Or I want the sale. I want to convert the sale. Focus on that. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I think that's a great place to leave it. A really kind of uh, crescendo on the thoughts for today. Thank you, Rochelle. This was great. This was uh, really some some great stuff and a great way to kind of bring back up some of the things that I've learned from you in the past and kind of reiterate those and recrystallize them as well as get them out to the, to the podcast audience. So um, very appreciative that you took the time to, to chat with us because it's uh, it, it, great to get this stuff down. So thank you so much. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Really okay. fun conversation. You've been listening to the sales fix podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's salesfix with two X's.